Welcome everyone. We're continuing our study of Simha. We are in class number 16. As we know, as you know, we've been discussing the subject of Hasad because the only way to get to Simha is through being a Baal Hasad. And as we've been learning over the last few weeks, maybe months, that it's not so simple to be Baal Hasan. And we have a lot to work on. Baruch Hashem, it's all within our reach. We're going to start today with a Gemara in Masechet Sukkah. This Gemara, when you first read it, doesn't seem very exciting or very informative but actually is literally a life-changing view of so many things in life. The Gemara says, Amar Rabbi El-Azhar, Kol Ha'oseh Tzedakah Umishpat, Anyone who does charity and kindness, keilu mile kol haolam kulo hasan. It's as if they filled up the entire world with kindness. Let's read that again. Kol haose tzedaka umishpat. Anyone who does charity. Mishpat, we're translating as kindness with others. If you do charity and kindness, it's as if you filled up the entire world with kindness. And the Gemara brings a pasuk to support that. What does that mean? The Benish Hai explains that we're talking about a person who doesn't have much to give. If it's money, they don't have that much. But they have a little, very little. If it's wisdom, maybe not that much to advise others. But they have something or any other area in life that a person can help. They don't have a lot of it, but they have something. Says Rabbi Al-Azhar, anyone who has something and they give that something, it's as if they filled up the entire world with kindness. Let's go to the end of that statement first. What would it feel like to fill up the entire world with kindness? Let me give you a little, a little understanding of that. I think everybody here has done something good in their life for somebody else. And I bet the feeling was very, very special that you helped someone have Shabbat dinner or you helped someone have a night out because you watched their children or you helped someone feel better 
when they were sick? Or you went to visit somebody that wasn't doing so well and they felt so happy that you came to visit them? I bet we've had many of those actions that we felt so good about. Imagine you didn't just help one person eat tonight, but you helped an entire family eat tonight. That would be even more special. Imagine that you helped the entire community tonight was only able to eat because of you. Somehow, everybody went hungry. There are no, nothing on the aisles of the supermarkets. Some major storm came, food hasn't been delivered. And lucky you, you have enough food to supply the entire community, every family with their children. They're eating because of you. I bet that would feel really, really special. Imagine you fed the entire community tonight. Imagine you fed the entire world. Somehow, you have the keys to all the food in this world, and you gave everyone food. Imagine the entire planet's eating because of you. That probably feels very special. It is very special. That was Yosef's dream. Yosef's dream was that he would be able not just to have a family and give them, but to take care of the entire world. Wouldn't you want to be that person that does kindness for the entire world? Of course you would want to. But if you had those kinds of dreams, you'd probably be very disappointed because you're never gonna be that person. It's a wasted dream, at least from most realistic people, that I'm gonna be able to do chesed with the entire world, forget that. I'm just happy doing chesed with my sister, with my brother, with my neighbor, good. But it would be special if it were possible. Says the Gemara in Masachet Sukkah, it's possible. To whom is it possible? How many people do I have to feed that it could be considered like I'm feeding the whole world? The Gemara says, you have to do the most that you can. And even if it's very little, imagine a person gives a million dollars to build or to give money to poor people. And a person gives a hundred dollars. In the world that we live in, the million dollar guy gets recognition. He gets a plaque. People stand up for him. And rightfully so, he's helping people. Maybe they'll sing for him. Maybe they'll talk about him. He's Baal Chesed, gave a million dollars. Next guy goes up and gives a hundred dollars. For the same cause, that guy, nobody stands up for, no plaques are sold for him, nobody's singing for him. He'll get maybe a hazak of baruch, maybe not. 
in the world that we live in, we measure great actions by quantity. Because we live in a world of quantity. We live in a physical world where things are measured by size, by space, by height, by width, by weight. That's all physical. What this Gemara is revealing to us, and it's so powerful, this Gemara, for a few reasons. That really, in the reality of accomplishment, in the spiritual world, which is all that matters, in the spiritual world, there are no weights, and there are no heights, and there's no quantity. It's not like that. So what's called big in the spiritual world? What makes a big person? A big person is not how much they've given. Rather, it's how much they're able to give. That means if we had the real good spiritual glasses on and we saw Emet, if the guy who gave a million dollars really is capable of giving two million dollars and the guy who gave a hundred is only capable of a hundred dollars. If you put on your real emet glasses, you would see in Shamayim plaques written for the hundred dollar guy. Everyone would stand up for him. They would sing for him. And they would look at him as a man who has literally fed the world. But wait, he didn't feed the world. He gave a hundred dollars. It doesn't work like that in heaven. In Shamayim, it's not about how many people you feed that makes you a Baal Hesed of great accomplishment. It's performing according to your capacity or capability. So if you can give a hundred and you've given a hundred, it's as if you fed the entire world, if you can afford it. If you could feed the entire world and you do, then you're a Baal Hasan. You're a great person. Imagine you could feed the entire world, but you only feed half the world. What would you say about that? You fed four billion people. In Shamaim, you'd be a failure. They would look at you and say, this guy, zero. I don't know, zero. But in the measurement of greatness, he's not there. But I fed four billion people. It doesn't matter because you could have fed eight billion. But a guy could only feed one person and he fed that person. In Hashem's eyes, in the eyes of reality, that person is equal to one who fed the entire world. It's the same because you did according to what you could. Now this Gemara needs to be studied by two different people for two different reasons. It needs to be studied by the wealthy person. Because very often wealthy people, now I don't mean only wealthy in money. Wealth can happen in many ways. Anything that you can give somebody is called wealth. A person has a lot of money, that's certainly wealthy. Or a person has a lot of time to help, or a lot of wisdom to help, or a lot of connections to help, or whatever it is that people can help others with. If you're a wealthy person, then it's very possible that you're being satisfied 
with what you give because of the amount that you're giving. But you're not realizing that you're nowhere near what you should be doing. And therefore, you're called a failure in the Hasid world. But what do you mean? I gave $10 million this year. Yeah, but you're a failure. I could be giving $10 million and I'm a failure? Yes. Because you should give 20. You're not doing your job. But I gave so much. They don't care in the real world about how much you gave. It's not relevant. You think you're supporting the world? You think they need you to help people? They're giving you opportunities. They're giving you the ability to help. And if you're using only 50% or 30% or 20%, you have nothing to be proud of. It doesn't mean you won't get reward for the little bit you're giving. I'm not saying that. But if we're going to call you a Baal Hesed, you're falling very short. So there's the message to the wealthy person. Again, wealth could be money, or wealth could be power or influence. There are people who could do a lot. And when they look at their accomplishments in life, they say, wow, look how much I did. I built this, I did that, I helped that. But that person may need to take a second look at themselves. Because it could be very well that Hashem gave you a capacity that's much more than that. Therefore, every successful person that's able to do more, better think twice about what they're doing. There are many of us here that do a lot in different ways. But specifically the one who does a lot needs to think twice. Because it could be that you need to do a lot more. Because generally speaking, those who could do a lot are not doing as much as they can. Because, you should know, because they see how much they do, that doesn't give them the drive to do more. Because they say, look how much I did. They go to sleep at night and say, I've done so much. I do so much. Not realizing that there's so much more. That's the message to the wealthy. And in this Gemara, there's a very strong message to the poor. Again, poor not only in money. Poor means in, a, in time. People don't have time. You only have a certain amount of time or a certain amount of kawah. There are many people out there that are broken because they can't do enough to help others. They don't have enough money to help. They don't have enough time to help. They don't know how to help. They, they can't do it. And because of that, they get frustrated. And they get down. Just about a month, two months ago, someone not from this community was talking to me. He's actually a pretty wealthy person. Comes a very wealthy family on both sides. And he was very down. Extremely, you can't imagine. What was he down about? The whole conversation was that his dream was to be a very big giver, a big philanthropist. To give out millions and millions and millions of dollars a year. But Hashem hasn't blessed him. He's very blessed. And he does give. But not to what he wants to give. He wants to be this big giver. And he's literally broken from it. Now it's nice, by the way, that you can be broken from something like that. It's at least nice that you're not broken about getting a fancy car or broken about an extra home that you want to buy. 
Some people get broken from very silly things. So on one hand, it's very nice to be broken from something so important and so real. But it's not good to be broken. And it's a mistake that that guy is making. It's causing him to be unhappy. Of course, be unhappy means you can't really achieve too much. Why? Because he's saying, why am I not giving the billions of dollars? Hello? Are you giving the most that you can? Then you are giving. Whatever it is that you have and you're giving in anything, you are the top. Stop measuring your accomplishments based on what other people are doing. It's not relevant. We see this very strong message in the Torah by the parasha of the woman who gives birth. We're not going to go into the details now. But the Torah says, in the time of the Mishkan of the Bet HaMikdash, a woman who gives birth has a certain Tum'ah that could only be taken away through Korbanot. Not a Tum'ah of Nida, a different kind of Tum'ah. The only way to get rid of it is a Korban. There's a recipe for this Korban. You can't just walk into the Bet HaMikdash and say, okay, here's my Korban. It doesn't work like that. I'll remind you that in the physical world that we live, there are rules. There are rules to nature. We deal with them every single day. We expect them to happen. We bank on them to happen. There's the rule of gravity. It happens every time. You never ever saw a person who jumped and stayed in the air. Although of course it could happen, if not for gravity. But gravity works every time. When you boil an egg, in hot water, you have a hard boiled egg every time. You never saw where the egg says, you know something, I'm not into this. I'm not gonna boil for you. It doesn't work like that. There's the rules of nature. It works every single time. Hashem is Ne'eman. Ne'eman means he is true to his being and he's consistent. The nature of this world happens again and again and again. Tomorrow morning, we know exactly what time the sun's gonna come up. In fact, not just tomorrow morning, a year from now we'll know, and in a thousand years from now we'll know. What time was sunrise 50 years ago on January 4th? You can know exactly to the second. Because there's nature. Nature never fails. It's always going to happen. Just like there are physical rules in the physical nature. There are also spiritual rules in the spiritual nature. I'll give you an example. Men put on tefillin. Torah says the tefillin shel rosh, the one you put on the head, has to go above the hairline in the area that's between the two eyes. So imagine a guy is putting on tefillin for 50 years. A good Jew. Every morning, wakes up early, goes to shul, puts on tefillin. Religiously. Only problem is, he's put his tefillin on his forehead. He dropped it lower than where the tefillin is supposed to go. There's no question in Shemaim he gets credit. He tried. He did his best, maybe. But one thing for sure, he didn't put on tefillin. 
this guy did not put on the feeling. Because there's a nature to the feeling. If you put on, let's say a guy really wants to boil an egg, really wants to boil an egg, and puts it in the freezer. And he prays, and he prays, and he does it every day, comes back to love, he works so hard, he's sweating. Again, he might get credit from the egg department, I don't know. But he did not boil an egg. It'll never happen. The guy who put on tefillin a little lower, a little bit, just a little bit, not a lot, a little lower than the hairline, has not put on tefillin his whole life. Again, Hashem surely will give him credit for trying. But tefillin means something. You put on tefillin, that means something. If you didn't put it on in the right place, even if you're an inch off, you didn't do it. If a guy eats, if somebody eats matzah and pesah, night of pesah, you have to eat kazait matzah. Let's say you eat 99% of kazait. It's really hard for you. You don't like matzah. But you know something? It's a mitzvah. You're going to do it. And you're doing it. And you're pushing in your mouth. And you're up, up, up. 99%. Ah, I can't touch No more. Almost a kazai. How much of the mitzvah did you do? People would say 99%. No, you did zero. Because if you don't eat a kazai, you didn't do anything. There are rules. There are rules to the spiritual world, just like there are rules in the physical world. The same way in the physical world, if you almost do something, but you didn't do it. The same thing here. You didn't do it. So now, this woman who gave birth has a certain tum'ah that she needs to get rid of. So there are rules how to get rid of this tum'ah. Simple. What are the rules? Again, you can't walk into the Beit HaMikdash and bring with you this huge animal worth $20,000. The most expensive animal in the world. I'm here. I'm bringing the cow. I want you to take care of my tum'ah with this korban. It doesn't work like that. There's a certain rule or there's certain rules of the spiritual world. How does this tum'ah come off? Says the Torah very clearly. When the days are done of the woman, she's ready to bring a korban. She has to bring one sheep, ben shenato, within the year, a young sheep. That's for korban ola. We're not going to get into that now. Uben yona otor lehatat. And she brings one bird for korban for a sin offering. Again, so what's the solution to this tum'ah? Very simple. Some tum'ah you have to go to the mikveh. Some tum'ah you need paraduma. This tum'ah. You need to bring korbanot. What's the korbanot? You got to bring one sheep and one bird. Done. Special kind of bird. A turtle dove, whatever it is. Okay. Says the Torah, what happens if this woman cannot afford to bring a sheep? Sheep is expensive. She can't afford it. Doesn't have money. What could she do? Now sometimes there's nothing to do. If you can't afford matzah, what could you do? Nothing. You don't have matzah. You're anus. They understand. 
In this one, the Torah says, if the woman can afford, if she cannot afford a sheep, says the Torah, she could bring two birds. One bird for Allah, one bird for Hatat, she's good. Now let me tell you what this means. You ready? You go to the Beit HaMikdash, and you see two women recovering from childbirth. Each one is coming to bring their korban to become tahor. Both of these women bring two birds. Woman A and woman B. They both bring two birds. The way it works in Shamaim is that this woman who brings two birds, she becomes fully pure. In the spiritual world, they see a pure woman. And this one, she brings two birds identical to this one. You'll see Tum'ah exactly like before. The same Korban. How could that be? Aren't there rules to the spiritual world? Yes. In the spiritual world, the rules are based on the ability of the person. If you did the best that you can in this situation, so then purity will work for you. And if you didn't, then it won't work for you, even though it worked for your friend. This is not just a chesed rule. It's a life rule. You know, we're very guilty. And I'll be the first to take blame for this. It's a real problem. I don't know the solution. So I say guilty without really having a solution. But very often in school, we treat kids as if they're all the same. So you have a kid who's very, very brilliant, doesn't really have to study that much. And without even trying, they get a hundred. And you have a kid that really has to work hard. Hashem did not give him the mental capacity. Gotta work really hard. And with all his hard work, maybe he'll reach a 75. In our school system, when you go to graduation, or you get stickers home, the guy who got 100, Valedictorian. You're the top. The 75 guy, you're a regular guy. Barely. Just made it. In reality, in Shamayim, it's not like that. The guy who got a 75 and did his best, in reality, is much better than the guy who didn't really work that hard to get 100. He could have done even better. I say we're guilty because we treat children this way and even adults that way. And people get broken from this. It's bad on both sides. It's bad for the guy who's brilliant because he's not really working so hard. Because why should he? He's getting all the celebration for not trying. And the guy who's working hard doesn't get recognized. And he's broken. No different than that guy who spoke to me about his lack of ability to give charity. We break people. Because we tell them, you're not good. Because you've got a 75. But I worked harder than that guy. We say, what, what can we do? The test is the test. It's, this, it's a standard test. It's a region. It's a test that we give everybody. It's all the same. It's a terrible thing that we do to children. Be'emet, it is. I don't know the solution, 100%. But we certainly, part of the solution is that we have to recognize people for their ability. 
and how much they're able to do, rather than what they actually accomplish physically. Because it's so much more worth it to work hard and get less than to work very little and get more. In the spiritual world, it's about what you can do, not about how much you do. So it's in charity, it's in Torah learning. You know how many, you can't imagine this. You couldn't imagine this. But I'm telling you firsthand, you can't imagine how many people are learning in yeshiva today. Yeshiva, I mean high school, I mean post high school, that are broken. You cannot imagine how many people are learning Torah and are broken. And you'll ask me, why would they be broken if they're learning Torah? Isn't Torah Hayim life? Isn't it great to learn? Of course it is. They're not being broken from Torah. They're being broken because when they go to Shi'ur, they go to class, this guy is a hundred times smarter than them. That guy remembers everything. He has the best memory in the history of mankind. That guy has so such depth in his learning. And that guy has such a stamina in his learning. And he looks around and he says, he's smarter, he's deeper, he remembers everything. And what am I? I'm a nobody. And he gets broken because he measures his accomplishment with how much he learned or how much he's able to learn or how much he's capable to understand. And he's a broken young person. Believe me, it's a lot more than you can imagine. It happens in schools, it happens in yeshivas, it could happen in kolelim, it could happen everywhere. It happens in work. It happens in every area of society. This Gemara is a life-changing Gemara. I don't know that we're gonna be able to change our mindset so quickly. Because we've been living the way we've been living for a long time. But think about it. Think about how life would be so much different if we realized that there's so much more that we can do for the things that we can. And that we're doing great when we do the best that we can, even if it's not as much as the next guy. Life would be so much more rich and more accomplished and more sameah. So when it comes to chesed, we have to think about that from both ends. Hashem expects from us what we can do. By the way, there's, a, there's there are midrashim on this beautiful midrashim. I'll give you just one example. It says in the midrash that when Hashem told us to build a mishkan to house God Himself, so it says over there that when Hashem said, "Build me a mishkan," Hashem, Moshe said, "What? Build you a home? Mi asot lo mikdash." How can you build a home for God? What does that mean? The world, Hashem, we call him Hamakom. We call him the place. Why is he called the place? Because the whole world is in him. He's not in the world. How can you build a home in this world for Hashem? How is that possible? Moshe says, impossible. And Hashem tells him, Amar HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Eni mevakesh lefi kohi. I'm not asking you to build a home according to my ability. You build a home according to your ability. Which means that if we build a home according to our ability in the spiritual world, it's as if Hashem built a one for His 
own presence, in his ability. It's the same. There's no difference. He's not saying, okay, don't worry, just do the best you can. He's like, it doesn't mean that. We read this Midrash, say, oh, Hashem is saying, do the best you can. It's fine. That's all I can expect of you. What could you do? He's not saying that. He's saying, if you do the best you can, then it's as if I'm doing the best I can. And in the spiritual world, they're the same. They're equal. There's no difference. It works that way with korbanot. When, they, when, when Hashem said to bring korbanot every day to Hashem. Imagine having a bring, to bring a gift to Hashem. You know, when you bring a gift to a little child, it's easy. You buy him a sticker. You buy him a toy. Someone who is older, it's a little harder. They already have much more. So what are you going to, what can I buy them? All of a sudden you have a person who is very wealthy. What could you buy them? What are you going to buy them? A cup, they have cups. A cup of wine, they have it. Silver, they have silver. A picture, they have better pictures. What are you going to buy them? It gets very hard. The more a person has, the more difficult it is to get them a gift. They're going to say, oh wow, thank you so much. I really needed that. I really can appreciate that. So when it came to korbanot, which is us giving gifts to Hashem, again, Moshe says, how can I get a gift for you? What does that mean? What gift can you give God? There's no way to give him a gift. Again, Hashem says, When I ask you for a gift, I'm not asking according to what I can afford. According to my ability. According to what they can give. Hashem says, you know what you bring me every morning? Every morning, bring me one sheep. And in the afternoon, bring me one more sheep. That's it. That's good. You're doing the best you can. That's like me doing the best I can. It's the same results. That's what Shlomo Amela said in Kohelet. Kol asher timtza yadecha la'asot pekohacha. Whatever you can afford to do with your strength, aseh. That's what you should do. So important this. Because sometimes we're doing hesed for a lot of people. We get excited. Oh, we're going to help a thousand people. Beauty. But when helping one person, it may not feel so exciting. When you're doing something small, it may not feel so enriching. Oh, I'm doing big. Small things, sometimes we feel like, like what am I doing already? Big deal, I helped that one family or that one person. Big deal, I advised that one guy. There are people helping thousands, millions of people. What am I doing? And because of that, we don't put in the energy the same. We don't feel the simha the same, it's a mistake. Because helping one person in the best way you can is like helping the entire world. Could you imagine that? You helped one person and you walked away saying, wow, I just felt the entire humanity. It's the same. There's no difference. I saw a beautiful story about a rabbi in San Diego who, I don't know if he's still there, he's the rabbi of a shul called Bet Yaakov in San Diego. It's not a very big Jewish community in San Diego. So the person telling the story is a person who had moved to San Diego and he had a havruta. They learned every night with a havruta in the shul, in the library of the shul. Wasn't many people learning. So him and his havruta learned. So one day they get to the, to the library. They're ready to learn at night. And they see there are chairs set up 
many, many chairs set up. What looks to be like uh, some lecture, some drasha. So they took their sfarim, they took their gemarot, and they went to the nearby room to learn. While they're learning, they hear the rabbi of the shul giving this heated lecture. He's speaking about whatever he's speaking about, and he's giving stories, and he's wow. And they, you know, they're learning, but they're hearing. It's exciting sometimes when you hear someone speak. It's sometimes more exciting than the written word. And they're like cheating a little bit and listening. Finally, as they finish, the class also finished, the rabbi walks by. And they tell the rabbi, we just want to tell you, we're like listening to half the class. Unbelievable class. Thank you so much. So the rabbi says to them, so be honest with me. Was the class really good? So they said, yeah, it was really good. But like, tell me the truth. Did you feel the energy in the class? Like that, was I giving it like my all? They said, yeah, Rabbi, looked like you were pretty into it. But are you saying the truth? Like you, you really felt that? So they asked the Rabbi, Rabbi, why do you keep asking the question? We're telling you it was good. Like, oh, why do you think it wasn't good? He said, I'll tell you the truth. Only one person came to the class tonight. And when I was giving the class, I wanted to make sure that I gave it with the full energy, with everything that I have. That the guy should get a full class. But I'm not sure if I actually could do it, talking to one guy. That's so powerful. That's a person who taught the entire world. You sometimes you're teaching one person, ah, come on, one person. What could you get from one person? If that's all, that is available, and that's what showed up, then you give it your, you know how many rabbis would not do that? I wouldn't. I mean, after this story, I'm gonna start. <laughs> but if I came here today and I saw one person, I'd say, have a wonderful day, I'll see you later. <laughs> that's what I would have done. So well, I'm gonna go speak for one, I can't even speak to one person. I'm gonna go and speak and go and go into it, what for who? But that's wrong. It's a mistake. My accomplishment is not about how many people. It's about how many is possible to reach. And if it's one, you give it all you can. If you have one guest in your house, you go all out for that guest. If you have 10 guests, you go all out for 10 guests. How much, is it better to do 10 or one? No difference. If 10 are there, then it's 10. And if one is there, it's one. And don't say, well, it's only one. Do I have to really go cook extra for the one? Like I have to make a, if it was more people, I'd make a special dish. But for this one extra, big deal. It's a mistake. If you would do something extra for 10, do something extra for the one. Because in Shamaim, there's no difference. It's lefiko hacha. It's what you can do. That's all that matters. There's an amazing Gemara that can be connected to our subject. The Gemara says that Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi had a son by the name of Rabbi Yosef. These are some of the greatest men that ever lived. 
And the Gemara says that Rabbi Yosef, this boy, a young man, he got sick and he died. And then somehow he came back. So I don't know if it was a clinical death, I don't know what kind of death it was. Bottom line is, he had a few moments to spend in the next world. He came back. Ki hadar, when he came back, Amar le Abu, his father told him, you know, me and you would have said, welcome back. So I'm so happy, I'm crying from Simha. Get what his father told him. He told him, my hazit, can you tell me what you saw over there? The first thing he wants to know, what's going on over there? What did you see? Amarle, this is what he told him. Again, his son Rabbi Yosef went to the next world and his father asked him, what did you see over there? Amarle, he said to him, Olam hafuch ra'iti. He said, I saw an upside down world. I saw an inverted world. Ilyonim lemata. I saw the high ones on the bottom. lemala. I saw the lower ones on top. Amale, he told his son, Beni, my son, Olam barur raita. You saw an upside down world? You saw a clear world. This is the world. This is the world of truth. You didn't see an upside down world. What's going on in this Gemara? What does it mean he saw the bottom ones on top and top ones on the bottom? So one simple explanation means that in this young man's eyes, Rabbi Yosef, he saw in this world Elionim. He saw great people. Now I imagine Rabbi Yosef, the great people he saw were not people who were wealthy with money or people who had fame. That's not in his eyes, Elionim. Elionim were great people. Great people of Torah, great people of Hesed, great people of Mitzvot, great accomplished people. Elionim. In his eyes, when he's going to go to the next world, he's going to see the Elionim, if it was a stadium, Rabbi Yachol, they would be in the first row. They'd be right next to the dugout, right there. Elionim, when he went to the next world, he saw these Elionim, the top people that he imagined were Lemata. They were sitting all the way in the back, last seats in the bleachers. And then he saw people that he saw all the time, but they looked like very simple people. They were Tahtonim, they were like great people. They weren't giving millions of dollars. They weren't giving major shiurim. They weren't drawing thousands for their lectures. They were sitting in the corner learning one-on-one with somebody. Lemala. He saw them courtside. Top. He said, I can't believe it. Olam hafuch. The great people are on the bottom and the bottom people are on top. I can't understand it. Upside down. Did I have the wrong glasses on? His father, no, you had the right glasses. Olam Baruraita. You saw a clear world. Meaning, in the real world, that's what it is. Very often, the people who are Elyonim, who are doing a lot, like I told you in the beginning, are not living up to their potential. They're not doing what they can. Because they compare themselves to others and they see they're doing more. They say, ah, 
Where are the onim? But in Shemaim, they say, wait, you haven't filled up the glass that I gave you. You could do so much more. You come from a better family that knows more. You have more money that can give more. You learn more Torah in your young days. You can learn better and teach more. I gave you a good mouth to talk. You can do more. Don't look at that guy. What does he have to do with you? Very often we look at ourselves and say, oh, I'm better than that guy. In everything, in religion we do that too. We say, oh, I'm better than that person. I'm better than 80% of the people in my community. So what? You know more. You're capable of more. You're smarter. You can't compare yourself and say, well, I do more. That's elyonim lemata. And yet tahtonim. You could be the most simple person, but you're doing the best you can. You're lemala, you're on top. Because in Shamaim it's not measured in quantity. I'm going to share with you now something. Not connected 100%, but it's right off it. I'll tell you a story about a great Magid. Who's the game? Who's the Magid? Is, is the name is Rabbi Shalom Shvadron, Zechad Sadik Lebracha. Very well known. He would go around and speak and give Hizuk to people. So he writes that when he was first married, he had young children. So one night, he was taking his son, who was sick, to the hospital. And on the way to the hospital with his son, he saw the Rosh Yeshiva of Slobodka or Isaac Sher, Zechar Tzadik Lebracha. And the Rosh Yeshiva asked him, so where are you going? He says, my son is sick, I'm going to the hospital. So he asked him again, so then where are you going? He says, my son is sick, I'm going to the hospital. So he asked him a third time, so then where are you going? Why does he keep asking where I'm going? Remember I told you I'm going to the hospital, take my son to the hospital. The rabbi told him wrong. You're not taking your son to the hospital. You're supposed to answer that I'm about to do hazard. I'm involved in hazard with my son to take him to the hospital. Just because he's your son, it doesn't mean that you're not involved in hazard. Do you know how many things we do during the day? that are in the category of hazard, but we have no idea that we're involved in hazard. I'm taking my son to the hospital, it's my son. So what? It's an act of kindness. I'm feeding my children. No, no, you're doing a hazard for your children. I'm buying them clothes. No, no you're involved in hazard. You can't imagine how many things that we do during our day that literally is under the umbrella of hesed. 
whether it's cooking, whether it's shopping, whether it's working, whether it's taking care of a baby late at night, whether it's a sick baby, whether it's three babies, that's called hesed. That's called kindness. Don't say I'm taking him to the hospital. You were involved in a kindness. There are so many things that we do on a daily basis that we don't have the awareness that we're involved in hesed. But we should have that awareness because that awareness is gonna make a big difference. And if you ask me, what's the difference? At the end of the day, I'm helping my son. What's the difference, what I'm, th what I'm thinking? So there are two major differences. Number one, it's gonna be easier to deal with people, especially your kids. You know, it's one thing to deal with crying children, but it's another thing to do hesed with your son. It's another thing to help your grandchild. But it's hesed. How many times have you done hesed? It's hard to write a check to somebody. But why do you write a check? You think I could just write a check right now? Can I write a check for $25,000 to somebody randomly? Of course not. So why do I do it for Hesed? Because it's Hesed, what do you mean? I'm helping somebody. I wouldn't cook for anybody, but people need it. It's Hesed, of course I'm gonna cook. But it would be took three hours of your day to cook for another person's family, but, but they need it. It's Hesed, of course I'm gonna do it. Would I sit in my kitchen for three hours on my own for no reason? Of course not, but it's Hesed. When we do things for Hesed, we understand the value of what we're doing. And that gives us the strength to do it and to do it better and to continue to do it. So just because he's my son, my daughter, my granddaughter, my, it doesn't matter. It's Hesed. It's your wife, it's your husband. It doesn't make a difference. When you, when you remind yourself that you're involved in Hesed tonight, when you serve your children, it makes it a different act. It raises an act, which I don't want to call it mundane, because it's not mundane anyway, it's your son, but it raises the Kedusha of that. It makes it easier, that's number one, and it makes it more special. It makes it more Kadosh, makes it more holy, which has a major effect on our Neshamot. Let me tell you a beautiful story, a very famous story, that happened in Radin, that's where the Hafez Hayim lived. The Hafez Hayim walks into a store, a pharmacy in his city. A Jew owns the pharmacy. But unfortunately, the Jew was not Shomer Torah Mitzvot. And the Hafez Hayim walked in. And he gave the pharmacist the most beautiful hello. And told him, I want to tell you, I'm very jealous of you. He looks at the Hafez Haim and says, you're jealous of me? Why are you jealous of me? He's all day long, you're doing hesed with people. All day long. Guy comes in sick, you give him medicine, you heal him. All day long, you're doing hesed all day. How can I be jealous of you? So the man says to the rabbi, but rabbi, but they pay me for it. I'm not doing it for hesed. I'm doing it for money. He said, well, don't do that anymore. You're allowed to get paid. 
But when you give the medicine, think about the hasad that you're doing. Don't think about the money that you're making. Again, you're allowed to make money. You have to live, it's fine. You can make a profit. But think about how you're helping that person. It's gonna raise your act, a more meaningful act. You're gonna enjoy it more. And sure enough, this pharmacist took the advice of the Hafez Hayim. And slowly but surely, going to the pharmacy was not a job anymore. It was helping people. And believe it or not, these acts of Kedusha began to influence him. And he became a complete Shomei Torah Mitzvah. Because he wasn't just giving medicine, he was helping people. That means people who have a business. It's true, you're selling socks, you're selling shoes, you're selling pizza. You're making money, it's okay to make money. But you're helping people. People are enjoying the food that you're making. That's beautiful. Think about that. Think. When you pack that box, people are gonna enjoy this. I'm helping people enjoy it. Yeah, I have to get paid, I have to live. But I want them to enjoy selling shoes or selling dresses or selling suits is no different. You could be involved in a monetary transaction or you could be involved in hasan. With this mindset, it could change so much of what we do on a daily basis into an act of kindness. You might say, but it's small, it's my kid. There's no small in hasan. No such thing as small. Your kid needs you. You're helping him. Kindness of the highest caliber. It's like you're feeding the whole world. If you could feed your son tonight and you're doing it in the best way, with the biggest simha, like you're feeding humanity. No different. And it's an act of kedusha that literally could transform your whole life. Simple acts that we already do. You know, very often we think kindness, you gotta start opening organizations, you gotta do all types of things. You don't have to do that necessarily. Actually, many of the things that you're currently doing, you could actually raise it to a level of hasad. And sometimes during our days, we have opportunities that we never think about as hasad. I just gave you an example of one because you feel it's family, I'm just, you know, it's my job, my business. And sometimes we get carried away with the American model of business is business. I don't know if you ever heard of that. Business is business. I do my hasan in the morning, but right now, business is business. When people say that they mean, and there's no hasan in business. But that's not at all in line with a Baal Hesed or Judaism, Bakhlaw. This week's parasha that we just read. When you buy a Jewish slave, I don't have the time now to go over the laws of how to deal with a Jewish slave. But Hazal say it in a very short way. They say someone who has purchased a Jewish slave, he has purchased a master for himself. It's like having a child. When you have a child, 
you become a slave. You now have a new master telling you when to sleep, how much to sleep, how much to spend time with him, when you could leave, when you're allowed to come back. That's how it works. When you buy a Jewish slave, you're buying a master because you have to serve him. You have to take care of him. Let me ask you a question. If someone is going to the slave market, they used to have a slave market. And you could buy an Evid Ivri, a Jewish slave, or an Evid Kenani. Evid Kenani, yours. You have to treat him well. You have to be nice, but you don't have to put him on top of you. He's not like the Evid Ivri. And besides, the Evid Ivri, after all your hard work, what happens in six years? Shesh Shanim Yavod, six years, seventh year, he's a free man. Which person in his right mind is going to the slave market and when they see an Evid Kenani or an Evid Ivri, he's going to buy an Evid Ivri. Why would you buy a Jewish slave? You got to be out of your mind. You buy a Kenani. He's yours forever. You don't have to put him on top of you. He's your Evid. He's your employee. Who would buy an Evid Ivri? Says the Torah, Ki tikne Evid Ivri. When you buy a Jewish slave, who is the Torah talking about? Some fool who doesn't understand simple decision making? Who is this guy? How ignorant is he? Ki tikne Evid Ivri. Says the Ora Haim Kadosh. You know what it means? Ki tikne Evid Ivri. Ki tikne. He says, Ki tikne. When you're going to buy, buy an Evid Ivri. But it's not worth it for me to have a Jewish employee. It's not worth it. You know, Jewish employees are hard. A, they want more money. B, they're learning the business. I don't think they'll stay six years. The Jewish slaves stay six years. Probably they'll stay three years, two years. First opportunity, they're gone. They open a shop right next to yours. It's not easy hiring a Avery, one might say, for what? Business. Business is business. Sister, be careful. Business is not business. There's hesed in business. Give the guy a chance. If you can help him, help the guy. Don't be irresponsible. But help him. Give him a chance. He needs it. Hashem will take care of you also. Don't close the door to helping people in the name of business. Sometimes in business itself, one that needs to apply chesed. A few weeks ago, I was by in Arayat. I'm talking to somebody. I'd say a 45-year-old man. And an older person comes over to me, maybe 20 years older, 65. And he tells me, you know, the guy you're talking to, in front of him, he tells me, that guy's a great man. I, I didn't know he's a great man. So I said, why do you say he's a great man? What's so special about him? So I want to tell you something. He told me, 25 years ago, I had no parnasa. I had no money. So I decided I'm going to start a clothing company. So I went out and I designed dresses. And I made them. I brought in maybe $25,000 worth of merchandise. 
going around trying to sell it. Price was wrong, the items were wrong. I went to this guy in a few stores and he said, ship them all to me. I was so excited. He got me going. He said, I find out months later, the guy took the goods and sold them at a loss. Because he wanted to start the guy in business. He ordered for 10, he sold for seven. But that was his hesed, got the guy going. Sometimes people need a shot. You may not be business, may not make sense, but even in business, there's hesed, there's no such thing as business is business. So many opportunities in the business world to do hesed. Tell you a great story. I'm sure many of you heard the story, but you can't give a class like this without giving this story. I wish there were many more like it, maybe there is. I think many of us here remember the great outage of August 2003. If you don't remember it, then you're too young for this class. 2003, August 14th. On a Thursday, late afternoon, knocked out power. Over 50 million people lost their power, their air conditioning, their lighting, everything. It was a difficult time for a lot of people. Shabbat was coming. You had your food in the refrigerator, all your frozen food. How long could it last? People were stuck in elevators. People were stuck on subways. And there was really no clear end in sight. But just imagine owning an, ice, owning an ice cream company at this time. Imagine you had your merchandise, not dresses or rings, it's ice cream. That's your inventory, you have millions of dollars of ice cream. That's what you do. And of course you leave your ice cream in refrigerators, big refrigerators, probably the size of this room. And now, you lost your power. What's gonna be with your entire business? It's a serious problem. That's what happened to Klein's ice cream. Klein's kosher ice cream. They're a pretty big company. They can give it 24 hours, they could survive, but not more than that. And Friday morning to their mazal, their power came on and everything was safe. They didn't lose one pint of ice cream. Great. Mr. Klein, the owner, calls his son, Moshe. And he tells him to make an unusual phone call. You see, Klein's ice cream has one big competitor. Their name is Mehadrin ice cream. He told his son, now if it was me, I would say, wow, I, I own the market. If Mahadran has no more ice cream, by the time they figure out how to get back on their feet, if 
they ever get back on their feet, I become the king of ice cream. Knock out all the competition. I have a monopoly. He told his son, call Mahadrin and see if they have electricity. Because if not, we're going to make space in our warehouse for them. And sure enough, they didn't have. And they brought in all their goods to his warehouse. So today, if you see Klein and Mahadrin in the same aisle, could be that one helped the other one survive. Business is not always business. There's hesed even in business. Giving people a chance, giving people a chance to buy from them, to sell to them, and even to help your competition. You know, the Hafez Haim writes, the Ahabat Hesed, that there's great opportunity to help people by opening a gemach. Gemilut hasadim, lending people. There's money, people lend money. People need money for a short period of time, $2,000, $3,000. It's a tremendous hesed to help people when they're stuck. But it's not only money. There are so many types of gemach out there, you cannot imagine what people are doing for others. Things that people don't normally want to buy. Of course, you know the wedding dress gemach. You know how many people could use dresses that people wear once and put away? You know how many people could benefit from that? It's sitting in the closet doing nothing. Imagine opening a gemach of wedding dresses. Well, there might be one or two, but there could be a hundred. There's so much in those fancy type of dresses. People wear them once, you're not wearing them again. Give it out. Let somebody else do it. Or open a place to have more people give theirs. You can have a gemach for jewelry. You need special jewelry for special occasions. You don't need it all the time. You have to buy it, $20,000, even if you could afford it. You don't need to waste your money on that. People have gemach for jewelry, tables and chairs, people have gemach. Believe it or not, I couldn't believe this. There's a gemach for earmuffs, for babies to use during weddings so that their delicate eardrums don't get affected by the music. There's a gemach. If you have little children going to weddings, you can have a gemach to buy these little earmuffs. You know, they have 35 locations, by the way. It's not a big thing, but it's pretty big. If it helps your son hear a little better, or your daughter, nice. Where are you getting that from? There's medical equipment. There's a gemach for women who just gave birth, different things that they need. Furniture. I need to share with you something that Rabbi Yonah writes. You ready for Rabbi Yonah? We're talking about Ahavat Hesed. I don't know the explanation behind this. I'm just going to tell you what he says. He says that when a person helps somebody do hasad, he calls that what the Gemara says, Gadol ha yoter min ha'oseh. 
meaning greater than doing hazard. Imagine, we're talking about hazard for weeks or months, but greater than doing hazard is helping someone do hazard. Imagine that. Greater than you giving money, greater is giving someone the chance to give money. Greater than cooking a meal for someone is to have someone cook a meal. Now, nobody likes to make that phone call. I'd rather cook myself. I'll write the check. I don't want to ask for money. I don't want to ask for favors. I'm not calling people. We all don't like that. But the Gemara says, Gadol ha-me'aseh yoter me'aseh Greater than you do it is getting somebody else to do it. Not out of laziness. Out of concern for that person that they too should be involved in chesed. And in essence, you're also doing chesed. Says Rabbeinu Yonah, listen to these words. Vezeh ahavat chesed. We're talking about love of Hesed. We're saying, what is love of Hesed? How do you get love of Hesed? Says, you know what love of Hesed is? When you start getting other people to do Hesed. When you start other people to contribute. This is called Avat Hesed, says Rabbin Yonah. You know how many opportunities we have to get other people involved, to give. Sometimes you have to ask for money. So uncomfortable to ask someone for money. Has your case? You know, they give me money, and then they give you money. They think they're doing you a favor. I don't. I don't need that. I don't ask for money. I'm not that kind. I give money. I don't ask. If you ever say that again, I'm gonna tell you a story. There's a very big shul here in Brooklyn. Years ago, the Rebbe had a maybe till today. The Rebbe of the shul, it's a Hasidic Rebbe. Very big, big community. And the river would appoint every single week from all the thousands of people in his keilah, three people every week, their job is to go around the minyanim, every minyan, hundreds of people every day, morning, night, go around, collect money. You know, collect a dollar, five dollars, two dollars. And then their job in general that week is to figure out how to collect money, make phone calls. For, for Aniyim in the community. And at the end of the week, they come to give money to the Rebbe, the Rebbe gives it out. So every week he chooses three people. That's their job for the week. One week, one of the people the Rebbe chooses was one of the wealthiest men in that whole community. Very, very wealthy man. Man's giving out millions of dollars a year. So the Rebbe says, you know, this week I'd like you to be one of the three. The Chavod. The guy tells Rebbe, well, I don't feel so comfortable doing that. It's not my thing. I don't like going around. I don't like asking for money. It's not my thing. Please, Rabbi, it's not for me. I appreciate it, but the Rebbe says, no, no, no. no. This week, you're doing it. It's your turn this week. He says, Rabbi, no, I'll make you a deal. How much money you think you expect me to collect this week? Whatever it is, I'll write you a check right now, and you can, you can hire a third guy also. The Rebbe says, no, no, no. It's, it's your week. This week, you have to go around collecting. It's your week. And he 
he loves his Rebbe, he wants to listen, but it's hard for him. Come on. He says, Rebbe, why? Why are you doing this to me? So the Rebbe tells him like this. He says, you know, a lot of people come to you for charity. Every day people are knocking on your door for charity. I want you to learn what it feels like to ask someone for money. So when people come to you, you know how to treat them. Besides that you're helping people give, besides that, you're helping people give. But you're also training yourself to feel what it's like to ask at the same time. When you ask someone to make dinner, it's hard to ask. But now you know what it feels like to ask. When you ask someone to give money, it's hard. But now you know what it feels like. There are many opportunities to get involved in having others get involved. When that opportunity comes, don't just cop out. Don't say, no, it's not, it's not me. I don't, I don't do those things. I'm the giver. I don't, I don't ask. It's okay to ask, even if you're a giver. In fact, it may make you a better giver. And sometimes you could do hasad with people who do hasad. Let me explain. I'll tell you a very famous story. There was a, in Europe in 1945, in Romania, when a lot of people came back from the war. In April of 1945, imagine what it was like, the destruction, the poverty. So the Skolner Rebbe, who was in Romania at the time, wanted to help to make matzot for the people in the community. They didn't have matzot. They just came back from the war. So he sent one of his helpers to go find wheat. They got the wheat. They figured out how to make matzot. But they made very little amount of matzot. Not enough for everybody. So he made an announcement. Everybody who wants matzot could come to him. Come to the Rebbe himself and he'll give him three matzot. Three per person. This way you can give to everybody. So in town was at the time the Vizhnes Rebbe. And the Vizhnes Rebbe at the time sends his son. He tells him, go to the scholar Rebbe. He has matzot. He said, but ask him for six matzot. And don't walk out of there until he gives you six months. He's not going to give you. But tell him, I'm not leaving until you give me six. He says, Daddy, sure. Says, That's it. That's the way it works. Okay. It's a little boy. He goes. He goes to the skull and the rabbi. He says, my father is the vision of the rabbi. He says, he sends you best regards. He says, he asked me if I can get some matzot. He says, sure. Please give your father these three beautiful matzot. He said, my father says, I need six. I told him, but I can't give you six. I have to give everybody. I can't do it. My father said, I cannot leave until you give me six. So you give me six or I'm staying here. Okay. What's he going to do? Is Vishnu Sarevi is a great man. He wants six. He gave him six. Gets home. 
takes the six. I had a pesa. The business already tells his little son, do me a favor. Take these three beautiful matzah and go give it to the scholar. Tell him it's from me as a gift. What? Just took it. He goes back and he gives him the three matzahs. I had a pesa. He says, but your father took six. Why are you back three? He says, my father knew that you're such a kind person that you're probably going to give all your matzot away. So he figured, let me save three matzot for you. And he gave him the matzot at a pesa. You know why I tell you this story? Because there are many people out there that are helping others that need help themselves. Very often, we look at people who are helping and think like, oh, they're helping, so like, they're good. But you can't imagine, they, they also need help. Many different types of people in many areas. Never look at a person who's helping and say, well, if he's helping, he doesn't need help. It could be he also needs help. Gadola me'ase, The one who's helping others is great. But I say also the person who looks after the me'ase is also a good person. Anticipating hesed, it's a big deal. One of the ways a person can be a Baal hesed is you have to anticipate it. It means not always in front of you. You have to plan for it, you have to look for it. Simple examples, someone gets engaged, big simha, that person might need help. You just made an engagement party. Someone got engaged. Perfect, call them. You probably learned something. Everyone makes mistakes during engagements, weddings, bar mitzvahs. You made a mistake somewhere along the line. Call the person. It could help them. If you don't have time to call, you don't have time. But if it's possible, if you can help your neighbor who's making something that you already did, call them. It's a tremendous chesed. Anticipate that that person, when someone gets married or engaged or has a child, there are a lot of things that are going on. They may need help. They may need advice. They may need direction. That's called anticipating. Nobody called you. Nobody was in the street opening their hand to you. But if you just think a little bit, it's called anticipating. That person would appreciate a phone call. Can I help you with something? Need any advice on anything? Yeah, with the, with the covers, with the chairs, with the, with the this, with the caterer, pricing, whatever it is. It'd be so helpful to talk to someone who just did it. Many examples of anticipating hesed. People move into your block. People move into their neighborhood. It says by Yaakov Avinu, when he went to Lavan, he was going to Haran, as where Lavan was. So on his travels to Haran, he found a bunch of people. So Yaakov tells them, Ahai me'ayin atem. He tells them, my brothers, where are you guys from? They told him, Vayomeru me'haran anachnu. We come from Haran. Vayomer lahem, he said to them, Hayedatem et lavan ben nahon. Tell me, do you know lavan? Lavan, he lives in Haran. No, you know him? Vayomeru, yadanu. Yeah, yeah, we know him, of course. Lavan, we know him very well. Vayomer lahem hashalom lo. Which means, is he doing well? 
Is everything okay with him? Shalom. Yeah, everything is great with him. Why does the Torah report this? Why did Yaakov ask this question? Obviously, it's important. It's written here. Because when you're about to meet someone that you haven't met in a long time, or maybe never, it's a good idea to ask about that person. Because you're anticipating. Maybe the person just lost his mother. You didn't go and say, hey, how you doing? It's great to see you. But that's not the right way to deal with that person. If you knew what that person was going through, maybe someone is sick while they know. Man, who knows what that person is going through? Not always could you find ahead of time. But here Yaakov wanted to know, Hashalom lo, is he okay? Because he was preparing how he would talk to him when he greets him. That's called anticipating. Anticipating could be in a minute from now, or it could be in a day from now, or it could be anticipating in years from now. Here's a very uncomfortable conversation, but it's also anticipating. Many, many families that have wealthy parents, even not so wealthy, but wealthy enough, get in major, major fights and major mahlopit when their parents leave them with money. Almost to the point that you could say, I don't want to say guaranteed, but it's a very big percentage that if someone dies and leaves money, there's going to be fighting in the family. If you want fighting, if you don't want fighting in the family, just die poor. If you die poor, your family will love each other to death. They will love, you see people hugging each other, love each other, probably poor. They probably got no money. That's the truth. If you have money in the family and you leave that money, chances are, I'm not talking like a little bit, I'm talking the very big number of people literally are either fighting, cutthroat, or even if they're not cutthroat, but like it's very uncomfortable or very cold. Or just like distant. Okay, whatever, they're brothers, but they don't, it's not this, oh, whatever. She, he, yeah, he got the earring, she took the bracelet. Of course, the, my father wasn't even thinking at the time. Of course he gave it to her. Of course, she, this is what happens. By the way, it happens with the best people. You can't imagine. People that you thought like, come on, and they're wealthy. That's how it works. So anticipating hesed, you know what a person can do when they still write a will. Write a will. It's not so comfortable to write a will because nobody likes to think they're going to die. But guess what? Statistics have shown that from Adam Harishon till today, nobody has been stayed alive. So you can bet, okay, the reality that we're not going to be alive forever. This much, I don't know a lot of things for sure, but this one is pretty for sure. That means in 60 years from now, 70 years, 80 years from now, we're not going to be here. We're checking out, we're going somewhere else. You know, sometimes you see this video, I saw a video of the dome in Sharet Zion from maybe 30 years ago. I think it was 1990. Okay? At first it looked ancient. Okay? Maybe that was the video. But then they were showing the crowd. And really? Almost every person in that crowd was gone. Not one guy. Unbelievable. Not one guy. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that guy. I can't believe he's gone. It's rows and rows of people that were sitting in the same chair. Gone. So I'm not here to scare you. It's reality. That's it. That is reality. You got to deal with it. Don't run away from it. It's emet. It's, 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 it's what happens. But you have a responsibility for your family 
Do a chesed with them and be clear. To be clear, you have to get a very, very competent person who knows the halachot of Yerusha and Jewish law and who knows American law. Because you need both. Because if you don't do the Jewish law right, you can end up in Beddin. If you don't do American law right, you end up in courts. You got to do it right. You save your family. It's a beautiful thing to do. Do it when you're still young. Now, if you don't have money, don't worry. You're exempt from this. I'm going to show you one last thing. Okay? Share with you one last nikudah of chesed. A chesed that all of us can do. Maybe small in our eyes, but it's very big. The Pasuk in Yeshayahu said, he's talking about the flood that took place in the days of Noah. And the Pasuk calls the flood, Meh, Meh means Mayim, the water. Meh Noah, the waters of Noah. The Zohar, excuse me, the Zohar is very bothered by such a description. The water of Noah. The Zohar says, we look in Bereshit, it says, Meha Mabul, the water of the flood. Meha Mabul, U Meha Mabul. Says the Zohar, Meh Noah. Why are you calling it the water of Noah? That's not right. Says the Zohar. Such a powerful Zohar. I wish we had time to read the whole thing together. Such a beautiful Zohar. The Zohar says that when there is some difficulty in the world where people are not doing the right thing, so Hashem will go to a good person, a righteous person, and make them aware of some terrible destruction that he's planning to do to those people. He will tell them. And the purpose of him, of Hashem telling that person, is that he should pray for them. For example, to the Zohar, Moshe Rabbeinu, Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu by the Egel, Moshe, they made a golden calf and they bowed to it. He tells Moshe Rabbeinu, leave me alone. I'm going to destroy them. And I'm going to make you the new chosen nation. He told Moshe that. I don't know what your reaction would be on that. It's nice, a nice deal. Hal Moshe. Moshe went to plead on behalf of our people until he fought and fought and fought until he said to Hashem, if you do this, you can erase me from your book. I'm not interested. Until Hashem says, I forgive them. Says the Zohar, that was all a setup. When Hashem told Moshe, that wasn't real. Meaning, Hashem didn't want to destroy them. But He told them for a reason. He set them up. He told them because He wanted to see if Moshe would pray on their behalf. And He did. Says the Zohar. But when Hashem came to Noah, and He told them, Ketz called Basar Balefanai. Listen, 
the end of humanity has reached. Amar le Noah, Noah said to Hashem, Veli ma'at avin. So what are you doing to me? Am I also getting destroyed? Hashem told no. You're gonna stay. I'm gonna make for you an ark, you're gonna be okay. But nowhere do we find that Noah prayed. Noah didn't say, but Hashem, how could you do this? How could you do that? Destroying the world, what does that mean? I know they're bad, but help them. Maybe we can help, maybe. Not one tefillah. Says the Zohar Mikan. That's why he's called Isha Adama. He's an earthly man. And that's why it's called Menoah. It's the flood that Noah caused. He caused it. What do you mean? He's the only guy that saved. But he caused it because he didn't pray. Hashem makes us aware of things so that we can pray. Hashem told Abraham, I'm destroying Sodom. Abraham prayed. He pleaded. Yes, there were Rasha'im. Yes, there were bad people. But it says in the Pasuk, Virahamav al kol ma'asav. Hashem has compassion on all of his creations. Tefillah is a tool. It's a powerful tool of hesed. And when we learn of something, there's a reason why we heard about it. It's to pray for that person. Of course, if you could try to help, you gotta help, you can just pray. You gotta go help. But if there's nothing else to do but pray, so pray. Have a one heartfelt, sincere tefillah that you can pray for a person. That's a tremendous hesed that all of us can do. Great rabbis have been known for their commitment to other people for their prayer. We've mentioned this before in other classes. The great, great Rosh Hashiva of the Mir, Rafinko, Allah Shalom. So it says that one time a woman came to him. He was so weak and he had Parkinson's. His man couldn't move. Someone came to him for advice to help her. She had some real bad disease. And the woman said, I can't talk, but I can just read Tehillim. Let me read Tehillim in front of you. He's reading Tehillim crying. A woman came to him and said, Can I please pray for me? He said, I can't, I can't open my mouth. I'm so I'm so tired. But if you read Tehillim in front of me, I'll cry to your words. That's a tefillah. You don't sometimes you can't do anything. But you can pray. What could Noah do? He could pray. Pray. Pray for them. Prayer is something. Praying for people is, is real. Does it mean you're gonna help them hundred percent? Maybe not. But that's not that's not your job. Your job is to do the best that you can. And the Mesilat Sharim says, you should know, beautiful words he says. He says, every great person, look what he says, every great person, he says, is worried about tovat hador. He not only thinks about good for himself, but the people. He says, ra'ui, it's, it's the right thing that a person, whenever he does something good to say, this is the zechut of all the people, zechut of my family, the zechut of my community. Don't just pray for yourself, pray for others. Mitzvah, he says, It's a mitzvah to pray and to do mitzvot for the zechut of others. Zechut of Am Yisrael. To pray for Am Yisrael. Sheyitpalel al doro. Should pray for his generation. He says, Ki ena kadosh baruchu ohev, ella lemishi ohevet Yisrael. Hashem loves those who love Am Yisrael. And if you pray for Am Yisrael, so he says, 
ודורשים ומשתדלים על שלומם וטובתם בכל הדרכים, ועומדים תמיד בפרץ להתפלל עליהם. People will pray for כלל ישראל. That's why in the Amida we say it in plural. Everything's in plural. Refa'enu. Someone once asked me, how can I pray for Refua? I'm not sick. I said, you missed the boat. You're not praying for yourself. You're praying for everybody. Refa'enu. Pray for everybody. Tefillah is a chesed that we do with people. It may not seem like the biggest chesed, but it's big in the time that it's needed. And the Mishlai Sharim says, by the way, if you say, who am I? Me, my tefillah. Okay, go to the Rosh Hashiva of the Mir. Go, go to the great people. Go to Chaim Vajir. Go to the great tzaddikim. What are you? My tefillah. What's my tefillah worth? Says the Mishlai Sharim, be careful not to say that. Im yomar adam mi ani. Ma ani. Who am I? My tefillah. What's my tefillah worth? Please don't say that. He says, Bishvili nivraha olam. Everyone must realize the world was created for them. And if you heard and you're in that position, then your tefillah makes a difference and it counts. Today's shiur was to point out the very many small things that look small on the surface but are very big in the world of kindness. And as we began the class, in the world of Torah and mitzvot and spirituality, there's no small. Small is only when you do what you, when you do less than you're capable of. But when you're doing the best that you can, you're doing big. And it makes no difference what it is. It could be a tefillah. It could be an earmuff. It could be a smile. It could be a refrigerator for a day. It could be anything. If that's what you can do, you're doing tremendous hazard. Look for the opportunities, and when they're there, make sure you remind yourself you're involved in an act of hazard. Even with your children, even with your family, that's what it takes to be a Sameach person. A person who's always looking out to see the opportunities of where they can fulfill their obligation and the opportunities they were given. Baruch Allah Amen Amen.